the spring, we are going to be in this letter of 1 Peter. To start our time together, I'm going to ask a question. Don't, don't yell nothing out. I just want to ask this of you. The question is this. There's a thing they do when you go, if you ever go to counseling called uh, word association. Where they say a word and you got to say the first thing that comes to your mind. And it reveals what's in your heart. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say a word, and I want you to, what, just, what comes to your mind when you hear this word, okay? Don't, don't yell it out, just think in your mind, just grab a hold of it. Home. Home. When you hear the word home, what comes to your mind? Just think in your own mind, just, just grab a hold of it. So, if anyone would be willing to share, when you hear that word home, what comes to your mind when you think that? What do you think, bud? Family. You think families. You think people. What do you think? Tranquility. So you, you, you think it's like an idea, like something like a tranquility or a peace. Calmness. Okay, calmness. What do you think? <clears throat> Comfort. So we get an idea. Idea, okay. What do you, love. So a lot of people, we have, we have people, we have an ideal my wife, Audrey, in the first service, she had a place come to her mind. See, my wife grew up in a single house from the day she was born until she was swept off her feet by a dashing young man. <laughs> she lived at the Christmas tree farm, which is a very, it was a magical place. And so that place, in thinks of home, she thinks of being a little girl, you know, at this home. She spent every Christmas, every birthday, all the family came to. So for you, you think home, you might think of a place, a people like my family. You might think of an idea like comfort, tranquility. I want you to take that idea of what home is to you. I want you to hold on to it. We're going to come back to it in a little bit, okay? We're going to come back to the idea of home. So we're in the book of First, we're in this letter called First Peter, and in the New Testament, there are a lot of letters, okay? There's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John at the beginning, and those are the four Gospels. Then there's a bunch of letters. Paul wrote a bunch of them, Jude wrote one, James wrote one, John wrote a few, and this guy named Peter wrote two of them. It says in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, back in the day, now when we write letters, I know, I know we're internet people, I know we have computers and smartphones and we have text, but before text messages were true, before texting and before email, we sent letters in the mail. Some of you still like to send cards. God bless you. A card is a special thing to get in the mail sometimes. Um, but when we write a, a letter or a card, usually we sign our name at the very bottom, don't we? We write the whole letter, and we like sincerely nest up. You know, we, at the very bottom. But in the ancient world, you always start with your name. So Peter here is like, I'm Peter. So who's this guy named Peter? Well, Peter's not his name. It's not his given name. It's not his birth name, just so you know. Peter's a name given to him later on in his life. What is Peter's real name? Simon. So Simon is, just, so Simon is uh, he's a fisherman by trade. His brother's a guy named Andrew. They grew up under their father's business. They're, fa they're, they're fishermen. That's what they do for a living. And one day, he's fishing in, the in, in Galilee, you know, in Cap 
Capernaum. And a guy calls him, his brother, and says, hey, listen, follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. And him and his brother put down their nets, and they follow Jesus. They become these, these people called the 12 disciples of Jesus, the 12 apostles of Jesus. And these 12 guys become very unique in all history. Like, I can't, I, I can't write a letter and say, Ernesto, an apostle of Christ. That, that title is a title you can't grab anymore. Uh, the Bible says that the church, the chief cornerstone is Jesus. So Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, but it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The apostles are these uniquely gifted and called people who are sent out by Jesus, and they really set the foundation for everything that happens next. There's actually, you, you may have heard as you walk in the world, I remember watching a horror movie. Oh, um, I watched a horror movie when I was younger, and uh, at the end of the horror movie, it's it was called what was that horror movie called? It was called Stigmata. It's rated R. Don't watch it. But at the end of that movie, there's text, and it says like there's a there's a book called the Gospel of Thomas, the hidden Gospel of Jesus. And I was like, holy cow, what's all this? Like, and you might have heard this kind of talk. There's other books out there. Listen. How did the early Christians decide which books were allowed? How did they decide which books will we trust? One of the major tests was, did an apostle write it? And if an apostle wrote it, they trusted it. Peter's an apostle, they're like, going to trust this one. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's one of the big tests early on was, did one of the 12 write it? You know, Peter wrote this, John wrote the Gospel of John, Matthew wrote Matthew, so on and so forth. So Peter writes this letter. And Peter is kind of the leader of the apostles. His name, so his name's Simon, and Christ calls him Peter. Um, nicknames are awesome. I love a good nickname. I love a bad nickname, even. I love, I love nicknames in general. I love good nicknames. A uh, bad nickname will stick with you for a long time, and it'll never go away. Um, but uh, Peter's nickname, is, it, it means something. Peter is Greek for Petros, which is rock, the rock. Um, in, in, in Sumerian, or in, it's, uh, it's Cephas is his name in, um, that, in, uh, in that other language. But Simon gets this new nickname called The Rock, which is a pretty great nickname. There's a guy in our world that that nickname isn't there. Yes. Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And no joke, poor Dwayne Johnson, poor Dwayne Johnson, poor billionaire Dwayne Johnson. Um, He's trying to get rid of that nickname. In his new movies, it just says Dwayne Johnson. But those of us who were there in the WWE days, we will call him The Rock forever. Forever. That's his nickname. Peter, this guy, his name was Simon, but everyone calls him Peter. If you read the Bible, though, what's crazy is sometimes, sometimes, Jesus will call him, so Peter, 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 out of nowhere, Christ will call him Simon again. What's all that about? Sometimes when Peter would kind of fall back to his old ways, Christ would call him by his old name. How brutal is that? Yeah. It's like when your mom yells your whole name, like, <laughs> Ernesto Muralanis, like, oh, you know, it's like, if Christ says Simon, you know, I'm being sinful. Like, you know, he's calling him by old name. Things are bad. But his, the reason Christ called him Peter, because Christ, is, or Peter, is going to be the leader of the apostles. Peter really does become the leader of the church once Christ ascends to heaven. Peter has that, that distinct role. I mean, Jesus told Peter, 
Jesus told Peter this. I can't imagine hearing these words from the Christ. Jesus tells Peter one day when they're alone, the devil has demanded to sift you like wheat, but when you have, when you have got back up, you will lead your brothers. I'd be like, come again? The devil has demanded to sift you like wheat, but when you get back up, you will lead your brothers. It's like, I don't want to be sifted like wheat. I don't, want to get, I don't want to get knocked down in the first place. But it happened. Remember, Peter denies the Christ three times. He runs away in shame. And if nothing else, Peter, as the leader of the apostles, if it teaches us anything, it teaches us this, that God can use sinful, broken people to bring light into the world. The apostles are not sinless. They're not. They have failures all the live long day. And God still uses them to bring his light into the world. We should give every one of us hope. If God can, if God can work through Peter, if God can shine through Peter, then God can shine through us. Peter writes this, this letter. Peter the Apostle. Who's he writing to? To those who reside as exiles, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to the obedience of Jesus Christ, and the sprinkling of his blood. So he names these five towns, these five cities. And I really thought, reading this book, when I first read this, I assumed that Peter is a pastor, okay? He's a pastor, he's also a pastor, and he pastors a church in Jerusalem. Peter's often called the apostle to the Jews because Peter's ministry was mostly among Jewish people. In Jerusalem, the church is like 99% Jewish. I assumed Peter's writing a letter to churches that were primarily full of Jewish people. That's what I assumed. But I started reading the letter. I started reading, the, I, I, in India, I was there for three weeks, and my routine when I was in India, no TV. Can you imagine? No, no TV. No. So you know what I did? I sat. And I prayed. And I read the word. Every morning I wake up and I open up the house and it was 90 degrees out so the sky was blue. Birds were chirping. And I'd sit in the, in the, under the blue sky and the sun and I'd just read First Peter every day. Every day, the whole book. As I read this book every day, I started seeing things that were like, man, why would Peter say this to Jewish people? Talk about their past and their traditions, how empty they were. I'm like, the Jews don't have empty traditions. Talk about their sin and how awful it was and their, their pagan ways. I'm like, Jews aren't pagans. And I realized, reading it over and over again, Peter's not writing to churches that are primarily Jewish. He's writing to churches that are primarily Gentile, that are primarily pagan. He's writing to us. Like, we're in this room. We're not Jewish, right? I don't think there's any Jews in this room. Most of us, if I ask you your heritage, you might say, well, my family comes from Europe. My family comes from Mexico, in case you didn't know. Um, some of your family might be you know, African-American. Wherever, wherever your heritage might be from, we, if you're not Jewish, you didn't grow up around the law. You didn't grow up any, around any of those things. But this letter is to the pagans. It's to our tribes, it's to the many people who were far from God and were called to God later on. Peter is writing to churches that are primarily pagans, people who once lived lives far from Jesus but have turned to him at some point on their journey. He's writing to us. And what does he say about us? 
us Gentiles and pagans who have come. He says, you guys are chosen by my Father. There are some people who say, there are some who say that the Jewish people are God's one true love and the church, <laughs> we're his kind of side girlfriend. I've heard, I heard a prophet in college once. It was really weird. I was like, hey now. Um, so God loves his nation Israel. Israel, like, you know, cheats on him. He's like, oh, I'm lonely. Oh, the church, hey. Like that, that's what they start. And here's the deal. That's not the picture the Bible paints. The church is not an accident. Jesus intended to bring the good news of God to all of us. Listen, within one generation of Christ dying, so Christ dies, he rises again. He goes to the cross, he dies for the sin of all humanity, he defeats death. He tells his apostles, go tell everybody what you've seen. Within one generation, those 11 apostles, they scatter to the ends of the earth. Thomas goes to India within one generation. Some of the apostles go into Africa and bring the message of Christ down into Africa. Some guys get all the way into Russia. And we know Paul gets all the way to Rome, digging into Europe and Spain. Within one generation, the gospel is pushing out across the entire world. It was God's intention to bring, to bring some messed up kids into his family. And if you are here and you are in Christ, you are chosen by him. Your family, your family story and your family legacy may be famous for awfulness, but Christ can take your old legend and make a new one out of it. I'm reading a book right now. We're reading a book for the ch at the church for our book club called Let Justice Roll Down by, by Perkins. And in the book, this, this man, he, an African-American man, growing up in 1930s Mississippi, and the prejudice down there was unbelievable against him. And he talked about how him and his brothers were, had a rep for being less than stellar kids. The Perkins boys were known as fighters, moonshiners, gamblers. That was a... Their, their reputation was so great, was so, they were so known this way, when he met a, a woman he wanted to marry, her family said, you can't marry a Perkins, you know how those boys are. That was his family story, right? And then he meets Jesus. And now the name Perkins, Mississippi, means something else entirely. It's a name that stands for hope and reconciliation. If you are in Christ, you are chosen. You're sprinkled, it says here, it says, chosen by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, sprinkled by the blood of Christ. If you are in Christ, this is true of you. You're, you are not a second-class citizen. I once met a Christian guy, a pastor dude, and he told a story of how his grandfather was led to Christ by Spurgeon, and how his father was like given a Bible by Billy Graham. So this guy, his like, in his line, there's like, his, his family's knighted along the generations. 
This guy's family is like the coolest Christian family of all time. And I'm like, none of my family knew Spurgeon or Billy Graham. I met Jesus in Waterford, you know, like, like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, I was in a little church and came forward and altar thing. But here's the deal. You don't need to have 14 generations of awesomeness. If Christ has called you, you are chosen, and you're no less than anybody else's story. He loves you, and he's called you. So we know Peter wrote this book. We know who it's written to. It's written to us, but what's the book about? Listen, it says this. To those who reside as exiles. That's this book, that, that's, that, that one word is the theme of the entire book. This is a book to exiles about how to live in exile. And here's the weird thing. Exile means you live over here but are forced to live somewhere else. That's what exile is. Here's the weird thing. The people who live in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia are not exiles. They are from those villages. They, they are living where they live. So why does Peter call them exiles? Because they're not exiles politically. They're not exiles geographically. They are exiles spiritually, as we all are. There's a lady in my neighborhood, and she's Ukrainian. And she's, I mean, when I say Ukrainian, I mean blonde hair. You know what I'm saying? Like that. She, she speaks Ukrainian, and she's an exile. You see, over a year ago, Russia invaded the Ukraine, right? And there was a law put forth in the Ukraine that every man between the ages of 16 and 60 could not leave the country. You heard about this? So no man can leave. Every man who can fight must stay to fight. And fight they have. But a lot of the men sent their family away because they said this is going to be a nightmare here. And it's been a nightmare there. There are cities that once were beautiful and strong in Ukraine have been forever wiped off the map. Even if they win, they've lost so much. But this woman left her husband, whom she loves, and her and her daughter flew to America, to Flint, Michigan, not speaking a word of English. She's going to Flint schools right now, trying to go to school, coming to go to school, not speaking the language of the people. She goes to school, can't speak English. She is in exile here. Her home is the Ukraine. She, this, is where I, this is where I was born, where my father, my grandfather, my, my brothers, my husband fight for our people, and I am here in exile. Now, we are not physically in exile, but we are spiritually in exile. I'll tell you what that means. That means this. This world is not our home. And that's hard for us to understand because for many of us, we love this place. I love this place. There's this great line from a song by Rich Mullins. The song is called The Land of My Sojourn. And in the song, in the bridge, Rich Mullins sings these words. He says, how does it start? He says, um, and nobody tells you when you get born here how much you'll come to love it, but how you'll never belong here. So I'll call you my country, and I'll be lonely for my home, and I wish that I could take you there with me. And that, that simple line shows you the tension of being in exile because even though I don't belong here, man, do I love this place. Even though I know this is not my home, I start to nest here, you know? 
This is not my home, but man, they have cool stuff here. Whew. Listen, I just said I had no TV for three weeks. And you know what? It was good. Me and the Lord grew close, man. I even had, there were some things in my life I wasn't dealing with. And me and the Lord had some, like, some like, extended times of prayer to deal with some issues in my life. It was used of God. When I got home, I was like, you too, baby. Like I was, listen, I, I like it here, man. Dude, I got off a 15 and a half hour plane ride from Delhi to Chicago. 15 and a half hours on a plane. I get off. I, I have, for, for three weeks, I ate nothing but rice and curry. Every day, every meal. Nothing else. Rice and curry with my hands. My fingernails changed colors. I'm not lying, dude. They turned all yellow. And I was like, oh, man. So I get off the plane. 15 hours. I don't play 15 hours. Get off the plane. I, I get through customs. I'm cleared to immigration, cleared to customs. I walk out the doors. I look over to my right. And what's the first thing I see? No, no. She, she, was, at, she, was, in Detroit, she was in Flint. I was in Chicago. The Golden Arches. Right there in the airport. So I go up. I order McDonald's breakfast. No. <laughs> yeah. Because I love America. I order my stuff. They tell me the price, and it's really cheap. And I'm like, oh, ma'am, that seems like it's not, it seems like you're not, you, you should charge me for everything because that's a low price. She goes, well, I gave you the employee discount. You work here, right? And I was like, I'm listening, Lord. I'm listening. Um, I can't believe, I, I, so my point is this, I love this place too, I love, I, I, I want, I love this place, I love this stuff, but the Bible, Peter tells me I'm in exile, that I was not made for here, we were made for another place, but for many of us, we just go, you know what, that other place seems so far away, I'll just call this place home, and I'll make this my heaven. They used to say of Christians, they used to say about Christians that Christians were so heavenly minded they were no earthly good. You ever heard that phrase? They were so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. That's not true of us anymore. Nowadays, we're so earthly minded we're no heavenly good. We love this place. We, we fit in here so well, you can't even tell we, do, we belong to Jesus. We are in camouflage, dude. We're walking around, no one knows, we're like, I don't know, Jesus, we're just chilling and camouflage. The matter is, if we are in Christ, we are supposed to be exiles in this land. This world is not our home. Because the reality is, heaven is our home. We were made for a, I was made for a place I've never seen. I love the ideas you said, like tranquility, love, peace. Me personally, the idea of home, I have a very, a very um, I don't have a strong idea of home at all. If I go, if, we, if, if you and I, let's say I went with some people, and we went to a conference in Chicago, and we had a hotel for two nights, the first night in the hotel, I would call that hotel room home that fast. I don't have a very strong, I use the word home very, because I moved so much as a kid, I don't have a strong sense of home. I've just moved so much. Home. 
here's a truth that's hard for us to, to realize as Christians, and that the, the truth is this. Even if you have a church that loves you, people know your name, they care for you, they pray for you, even with that, even if you have family that love you and invite you over for family parties, who like being around you, even if you have good friends, even if you have a spouse or kids to pour your life into, even if you have all those good things, here's the hard truth. You're still going to feel lonely. You're still going to feel lonely. If you are here and you're young and you think, if I marry someone, they'll make take, take all my sadness and it'll go away. Don't fall in that lie because it's not true. No single person can make my sadness go away. If I put all that hurt on someone, it's going to crush them. Listen, I have a great church. I feel loved. Many of you prayed for me while I was gone. Thank you for praying for me. Praying for my family while I was gone. I know, I, I feel the love of our church family, I do. I have a great wife. Angie's a good woman. I got two great kids. My kids, you know, they're getting older, they still, when I watch movies, they'll still come up and like snuggle into me. Oh, dude, it's, it's a good life. And even, I even have a good dog. I have all these great things. And here's the truth. There are still moments where I feel a sadness deep within me, a loneliness. And here's what C.S. Lewis once said. C.S. Lewis said, if there's a loneliness within us that nothing in this world can satisfy, does not that point to the reality I was, me I was meant for somewhere else? That longing never goes away. And if you try to fill it, you're only going to make yourself more miserable. You gotta want to say, you know what? There's good things. I'm grateful for the good things, but I know until I am home with my maker, it will never be fully okay. And that's cool. That's the way it is. We are exiles in this land. And this book, 1 Peter, this book is a guide. It's telling us how to live as exiles in the world. How do I live as an exile in this world? What are some of the ground rules? How do I live here? How am I in the world but not of the world? So for the next three months, Peter's going to show us how to live as exiles in this world. It ain't easy, but it's the path. As we end our service today, we're going to take communion together. As we think about heaven being our home, there are things we do as Christians that remind us of heaven. One of those things is communion. 2,000 years ago, Jesus met with his 12 disciples in the upper room, and they broke bread, and they drank from the cup. And Christ said, as often as you do this, you remember me until I return. For 2,000 years, Christians have been taking this cup and drinking this, drink the cup and the bread and we remember what Christ did, and we long for his return. Now, who can take communion today? You don't got to be a member of Flint City Church. If you're a guest today, you can partake. We do ask this, though. You must love Jesus. If you are here, and you and Jesus aren't talking right now, let the thing pass you by. It's okay. 
If you're here right now and you're living in, in active, unconfessed, unrepentant sin, either repent and then take, or let it pass. This is for those who are at least trying to walk. You know what I'm saying? If you're in the fight, you can take. So, whenever our ushers come forward, and we're going to um, ask you as this goes by, take one and hold on to it, okay? Don't, don't open it, just hold on to it. And we all have one, we'll take together, okay? If you're at home online, go ahead, go to your kitchen, get some bread, get a cup, and we'll do it together online with us too. As the cup passes, you can take this moment, if you'd like, to go ahead and just to pray in the silence, talk to the Lord, get your heart right. going to open up the thin clear part and that will reveal the, um, the bread the wafer take that into our hands the scripture says as follows on the night Christ was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it this is my body which is broken for you Take and eat in remembrance of me. We now open the second part, which is the juice. In the same way, Jesus said, This cup is the blood of the new covenant poured out for your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us take. Let us pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for dying that we may live. It is through your sacrifice that we find our hope. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is true. It guides us home. In Christ's name, we ask all these things. Amen.